Hello and welcome to the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. My name is Rob Peters and I am coming at you live, well somewhat live, pre-recorded actually, from Indianapolis, actually Greenwood, uh, and joining me from Charlotte, uh, North Carolina is Josh Roller. We have a very big show in store for you today because there was a lot of news and, and a lot of races and just stuff we got to discuss. You know, stuff we got to digest because that's what we do on the show. We talk about it. We talk about the race weekend. We discuss it. We share news. And uh, we're a big, big family here. So we are, we welcome you to share your opinions and anytime. Uh, you can always hear our thoughts also on, in real life, in real time, in real time, anytime you want by following us on social media. And that's also where you can be a part of this big family and share your thoughts with us anytime. So all you have to do is follow me. I'm at rpeters33, R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-33. Josh is at roller underscore zero one, R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. And our show can be found at Robin Roller, spelled just as it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. And that is where you can share anything, any any of your thoughts that you have about the weekend. You know, interact with us, the guys, both of us on the show. Uh, really just do whatever, you know, have fun, have fun. This is, this is as much your show as it is ours. We love uh, having fun with you guys. So thank you guys for listening. We appreciate that. So uh, let's go ahead and jump right into our first uh, segment of the show which is uh, Rob's Racing Report. Hello, everybody. I'm Rob. You already knew that. Josh hasn't spoken yet. Uh, He will, though. He will, I promise. Um, This is my Racing Report. Uh, Starting off, we have some uh, WEC news here. How about this? Round 5 of the 2021 FIA World Endurance Championship at Fuji Speedway in Japan has been canceled and replaced by a six-hour race at Bahrain International Circuit in late October. That one really was not that much of a surprise. I probably think it's going to be tough probably for a lot of people to get to Japan uh, this year. Um, so that's not really a big surprise to me. Um, Formula E has some news. Uh, we have it at Formula E. The New York E-Prix was over the over the weekend. Uh, and their next schedule, or some hints during their next schedule as well, uh, dropped over the week. Uh, the FIA has released a provisional calendar for the 2021-2022 Formula E World Championship. Stops will include uh, Adiria, again, Mexico City, Cape Town, Cape Town. Hey, that's cool. I liked South Africa getting a motor race. It's I been do. a long time since that's ha- that's happened. So that's pretty cool, especially Cape Town. Yeah, 1993, I think was the last time they had a well a one a one Grand Prix. The a one Grand Prix ran some races at, in on a street circuit, and I don't know if it was in Cape Town or Johannesburg. It might have been in Cape Town. I'm not sure. I can't remember. It's a one GP was so long ago, man. I, do you even remember? Do you even know what A One GP was, Josh? You have, you have no one. idea. Okay, okay. Did so, this become another series? What's that? Did this become another series? This or? was this was a real, a legitimate thing. This was an actual oh. thing. So it was like it was called basically the World Cup of Motorsport. And instead of okay. teams, I know we're getting off track here. Instead, but I, I need we need I need to educate my co-host here about A One Grand Prix. Please, he do. can look this up on Wikipedia while I'm giving all the news, or I could waste your time telling you guys the story. A One Grand Prix. Uh, it was basically considered to be the World Cup of Motorsport. The race teams were in, were actually nations. So you ran, uh, but you race car drivers were chosen uh, essentially based upon how free they were and uh, what country they came from. So guess who we sent? Do you think? Do you think we sent the best drivers? In, in no, of course not. We sent Buddy Rice. 
Um, we sent Marco Andretti over there for a couple of rounds when he was in Indy Lights and in a uh, rookie in IndyCar, I think. Um, who else did we send over there? Uh, we sent over some very mediocre IndyCar drivers that were really just or a champ. I don't even did we send any champ car drivers? Josh, look up A1 Grand Prix. Everybody listening to this, listen, look up A1 Grand Prix. I'm gonna uh, continue this. Um, so, like I said, the Formula E schedule includes Deria, Mexico City, Cape Town, TBD at China, but a Chinese E Prix is scheduled. Uh, Rome, Monaco is returning. We're getting Monaco Grand E Prix, which is great. Berlin and a TBD location, but then also Vancouver. Hey, Vancouver, Canada's getting their own E Prix. How about that? Uh, it's yeah. been a while since Canada had an E Prix up there. Uh, New York City, London, and Seoul, South Korea. How about that? Uh, double headers will be in Deria, New York City, London, and Seoul. The season will kick off in January 2022. So again, why is it called the 2021 to 2022 schedule if they're not racing in 2021? Race in December. I Race think, in December, seriously. I, I think this is more still COVID-related. They're backing everything up. Hopefully when the 2022-23 schedule comes out, they'll be racing in November-December time frame. Because that's what's nice about Formula E is it runs during lull periods when, yeah. of the racing schedule. When there's really not a lot of racing. They run in November, December. That's what was cool, at least I thought, when they first came out. I agree. Oh, anyway. All right, moving on to SRX here. We got some SRX news to talk about. Two NASCAR regulars will join the Camping World SRX Series field at the season finale at Nashville Fairgrounds this weekend at, uh, at Nashville. This is in, That's in there twice. Uh, for, so Haley Deegan's coming back. And then uh, Chase Elliott is, was the big news there. He's coming uh, to race with his father. And a number 94 Napa entry. That would be cool. Um, IndyCar news here. Road hey, America. Napa, that Napa car, by the way, looks good. It, it does. It does. I'm open for the diecast. I'm open for diecast for a lot of this SRX guys. Do, yeah, I don't know. Are we going to get SRX diecasts? That'd I have be cool. a feeling we're I not. I have, I have IROC diecasts from back in the day. I have one IROC diecast belongs to Bobby Labonte. I do too. Is it black? Black, yeah. Yep, the black, black yeah. and red. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it red? I think it is black. Oh, mine's well, mine's black with a red stripe where it's or a red background where it says his name on the side on the side yeah, of the car. It's, it's the whole car is black except for the this red stripe on the side of the car. It's back home in Indiana, oh, so I don't, I don't, I don't know where I, I, I know, I, I know what box it's in, but I don't, I, I don't know what it, I, I just know it's black, true value Pontiac. Yeah, best decision I ever made was bringing all of my childhood cars up here with me to my current adult house. And yeah. My, my, I one day. One day I'll have them around on the floor, I promise. Yeah. All right, IndyCar News. Road America has reached a contract extension with IndyCar, an unspecified multi-year deal for the foreseeable future. That is good news. And then, holy cow, we've got a glut of NASCAR news. Are you ready for this? Uh, Rick Ware Racing, oh, God, is entering NASCAR's Pinty Series up in Canada with three-time uh, champion Andrew Ranger. Holy cow, what? Okay. This By the way, this is, the, this is news to Rob, obviously, as he reads this. This is great. I knew they were entering the Pinty series, but I didn't think Andrew Ranger was going to be their driver. Yeah. Andrew Ranger was in Champ Car, fun fact, in case you didn't know, know that. I did know that. You did know that? Okay, good. I did know that. Good. I'm, yeah. proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. The Pinty series begins on August 1st. Really? Well, it, it, had to back it, was in in, it was supposed to start in May, but you know, Canada and their COVID oh, yeah. restrictions. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you know. Oh, okay. I, I, I wasn't. Canada. I didn't think that was normal. Yeah. Um, Sunset Speedway in Ontario. Ranger will also drive 
the number 17 for Rick Ware Racing at New Hampshire this weekend. Is that in the Xfinity Series? Yes. Oh, my Xfinity. gosh. He's coming back. Andrew Ranger back in the Xfinity Series. How about that? Um, Josh Berry will replace Michael Annette in the Junior Motorsports number 1 Chevrolet this weekend at New Hampshire as Annette uh, continues to battle a leg injury. I heard it was a hairline fracture in his leg. Is that right? I didn't see that. I've been, unfortunately, at work all day. So if that came out during my work, I didn't see it. I apologize. I'm not sure if that was that. that's what it was, but I, I think well, I heard it, it was some kind of fracture in his leg. It obviously bothered him quite a bit because he was supposed to race in the truck race and was re- replaced yeah. by Chris Wyndham in that Young's Motorsports ride. How did they uh, get that? I mean, I, I don't how know how that, that deal came about. about. It should have been like one of the first ones because Chris Wyndham was a heck of a dirt racer. Yeah. But, uh, um, I but, think that was just such a surprise. I was like, okay, Michael Annette's going to be in this race. Oh, wait, no, he's not. Oh, wait, who's 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 replacing him? Chris Wyndham? Are you for sure? What? Yeah. <laughs> hey, before you move on to the next point, I wanted to share this. Uh, because it would also be connected to your next point. Chase Elliott's running some USAC midget races this weekend in Oklahoma and Kansas before he goes SRX racing on Saturday night. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Um, so here's the next bullet point here. Two new documentaries are on their way from NBC. First is a Chase Elliott documentary about his racing career and rise to the Cup Series. This guy is literally the same age as me, and he has his, whole, his own documentary dedicated to his life. Maybe I should start writing an autobiography. Do you think people would read that? Would I, I won't lie? I, I would I, read it. I'd like to see what you. Well, let's see what you reveal. Okay, uh, that'll be on Peacock. Uh, that'll stream on Peacock. The second is a NASCAR production slash USA Network collaboration effort to produce "quote unquote" race for the championship. It will be an eight-part series that will follow the elite drivers and teams in NASCAR's Cup Series playoffs, and it will premiere in 2022. Okay, I, I guess that's cool. It's their um, version of, of Drive to Survive, essentially, except much condensed to 10 weeks instead of the whole 36-race season. You know what? USA has some interesting programming from NBC's. They do UFC. Not UFC. I don't want to make it. They, USA Network airs like WWE programming. Now it's going to air NASCAR programming, and then it's also going to be the home for you know, tons and tons of reruns of uh, Law and Order and Blue Bloods and whatever and Grandpa's like to watch. Blue Bloods. Don't be hating on Blue Bloods. Don't be hating on. I I don't I don't I don't know. What's Blue Tom Selleck? Is that is that all Tom Selleck does nowadays? Well, I, I don't I probably, but uh, he's a that's a great show. I love Blue Bloods. Currently, I, I finally I broke down and got Paramount Plus so I could watch the latest two seasons. Paramount Plus Blood. now honestly has a great library though. Yeah, I the one thing I wanted them to get though is the Andy Griffith show. I need the Andy. I need Simple Times again. I need to have the Andy Griffith show because it's no. Do longer they have the whole Nickelodeon library on there? They do. They do have the whole Nickelodeon library. I mean, on even there. stuff like we're talking like stuff that I thought we were never going to see again. Stuff that has never gotten a home video release. Did not get a home video release like in the nineties. Did not get one in the two thousands. Like DVD releases when everything was getting a DVD release. Like there's stuff on there that just. That was not released on home videos. That is on Paramount Plus. I mean, that is, our age in my opinion, Plus just to watch reason that enough to program. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I just think there's. Pl- I mean, people, how many, how many people our age are getting it just to watch the Nickelodeon stuff? It's crazy. Well, and to be honest with you, I I don't know if you've watched it. I don't know if you're even interested in it. But the iCarly reboot is actually really good. 
I've not watched it. I don't know if I'm. I don't. I didn't really watch iCarly though. Um, I did. I watched a lot of iCarly, okay. so I'm sorry. But then again, right. it came out right when I was target age group. So like yeah. that 2008, 2009. Yeah, I was 11, 12, 13. I was in that target age group. Of course, I watched iCarly. But yeah. now I'm in the target age group for the reboot, which is like 20 some somethings, and right. it's it's really good. It's actually really, really, really good. I did not expect it to be good. When it was I'll first give, announced, I'll give, I'll give it a shot. I, I, I might give it a shot here. Once and the first episode is very is very good. I I actually was hooked by on the first episode, and it made me. I don't binge watch stuff, but when I watched the first episode, I actually I was like, okay, I have to watch the second episode now. This that was that was good. All right, show me what else we got. Second episode was good. Third episode was good. Fourth episode they haven't really missed yet. Well, good. That's so, good. That's good. And, and it's it hasn't. It's the nice part about it is is it, it's not like just a bunch of callbacks. And inside jokes to the original show, it's really its own thing, but it's it still feels like old iCarly. But Spencer says adult words, and it's it's it seems more natural. That's what that's another thing that I have to admit. You know, they're allowed to swear, yeah, but they don't overdo it. They do it when it seems natural. Like Carly doesn't. You don't hear Carly like swearing all the time because that's not what her character would do. You know. And so they that's what I appreciate about that. They don't just because they're able to do more adult things doesn't mean they have to. You know, yes, the, the 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 door is open for this in the future if they want to, but they don't have to. Like they know their audience right now. They know what they're kind of expecting and they're like they're gonna play to that. And I really do appreciate that. It's not gratuitous, it's not over the top. It it's just iCarly, but with certain adult themes being display explored instead of you know teenage themes you know what i mean yeah it's, it's more relatable in that sense even though it's still you know spencer's rich now and carly lives in her own apartment with a roommate of her own and it's i don't know and it's interesting i've gotten so off topic um how off topic can we get so how actually i'll i'll move on to this this next piece of uh news here um this was we were talking about this and there was honestly some very honest skepticism that was that was good. That was good. I was glad to see some skepticism in here. So NASCAR this weekend. So I'm going to give you some background. Uh, there was a lot of rumblings on Reddit and, and even in my own personal circles from people I know that work on the inside um, that were telling, saying, talking about this and you know mentioning it. And I won't go into details just because I want to keep a lot of that confidential. Hopefully you can understand. Um, but, you know, I think basically what it boiled down to was the rumors were that NASCAR's next gen crash testing was not going well, that the car was essentially too rigid and that they were quote unquote killing crash test dummies. Um, or in some cases the accidents would have been fatal if it was an actual person in there or if not fatal near fatal. Um, and that caused a lot of alarm that naturally caused it. So what really I think at least what I saw started off was a tweet from uh, Steve Meal, which was a longtime crew chief for Dale DEI, uh, Shane Meal's father uh, as well. Um, and, you know, he seemed like a credible source, which is why I can understand why people picked up and ran with this. I mean, I, I think at first I picked up and ran with this and kind of was like, oh, this is interesting. But as more came out, or I shouldn't say more came out, less came out of it, I kind of began to grow a little bit more skeptical um, of the 
the truthfulness of the rumors. And there was a good point made that we don't know time timeline. We don't know if these were issues brought up, you know, months ago that are now being that have since been addressed, or if this is something that is recent. You know, we don't really know a lot. And NASCAR wasn't going to probably explain it, or in some cases they weren't going to acknowledge it, but they ended up doing it. Um, so before I get into that, Josh, you wanted to say something real quick. Well, you, I was just going to say myself, one of the things that I told myself in having a conversation here was that I wonder if they were trying to push the limits, and you'll get a little, maybe more, a little more into this, but I wonder if they were trying to push the limits to, because this is something I would do if I'm designing a car in a simulation, right? I'm going to try to kill the test dummy. Where, where's, where's that limit at? Where, where's that line at? It what, Did this have any part to do with that, you know, uh, that we weren't getting the entire picture type of deal. Just, just trying to throw kind of like play devil's advocate on it too. Obviously, you know, it's good. To, I'm glad that they addressed it. I'll let you continue. No, I think, I think you're fine. I think it's fine to play devil's advocate in this case, because there, this is a different, this is a difficult thing. You know, I, I made the note that, you know, regardless of whether or not this is true, you know, let's, let's say, you know, let's say the next gen car is at this current point, not safe. NASCAR is not going to confirm that. NASCAR is no, not going legally, to tell. They legally cannot confirm that. That'd be no. bad. Exactly. They're not going to confirm this. They're not going to send out. A, I mean, they did send out a memo, but they're not going to, which I'm going to get to in a minute, but they're not going to confirm it. If you ask the question, nobody on NASCAR's PR side is going to confirm it. The only people you're going to hear this from are from the people who don't have a connection to the PR and don't really know what they're allowed to say and not say. Right. You're going to get this from people who have probably picked up hearsay in the garage area that have picked up hearsay around shops uh, and whatnot, you know, because there's always crazy rumors being right. you know, posted on Reddit. I see every year, every month, almost some dude's uncle who works at a race shop heard that so-and-so is retiring and so-and-so is going to take their place. It's like the same thing all the time. You know, you can't really trust all this. Or, or if you can, you can't. You have to take it with a grain of salt. But I think the thing about this rumor that was so different was that you had, you had so many people, other people on the inside kind of backing up these claims. You know, you did have, you know, it wasn't just one guy on Reddit saying this stuff and everybody else saying, oh, I wonder if it's true. You actually had other people on the inside that worked for race teams saying, oh, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. I've heard this. This has been something. I heard that in the garage. I heard that, you know, you had other people who could confirm that, okay, I've heard this. And that was what kind of made it different. So it was very interesting. But NASCAR ended up uh, releasing a memo to NASCAR Cup Series drivers addressing the safety of the next-gen cars in regards to the crash test at Talladega. The AP's Jennifer Fryer obtained a copy of this memo, and in it, NASCAR states stated after preliminary, excuse me, at NASCAR stated, quote, after preliminary review of the dummy data from the test indicates good and comparable performance when compared to other right frontal dummy data. The memo further stated that there is more test and analysis to come. So that was a whole lot of nothing, essentially. The memo was a whole lot of nothing, almost as if kind of like a shut up, we've got it. And I understand why they put that out. They don't want the drivers because, you know, Chase Briscoe went on and Chase Briscoe did, yeah. And said something on Reddit, but it was really more of him confirming that the dummy would have died in this case. It wasn't kind of, it, I thought I had interpreted it one way and then I went back and read it read it again and interpreted it a different way and realized, okay, this might be the proper this might be the sense 
the mindset that Chase Briscoe was coming from. So it's all very interesting. We'll see. Obviously, NASCAR is not going to take a giant step back after all of the safety advancement that they've made in the last 20 years. You know, yeah. we understand crumple zones. We understand a lot more now than we did 20, 25 years ago in regards right. to safety. We understand much better ways to protect drivers in the event of accidents. Unfortunately, we don't use hardly any of them in our road cars, which is still crazy to me, but I digress. Um, you know, I, I just think NASCAR is not going to allow drivers to get in this next-gen car unless it's they know it's safe, they can confirm it's safe. So, Josh, I think time. your point might be more correct that, you know, they might have been very easily pushing the limits because someone posted video of what crash tests look like when Dodge was coming into NASCAR. Um, and some of that looks like it would kill easily. But well, wouldn't at the same you, time, you know, when well, are you going but, to see accidents like that too? Yeah, well, well, let me kind of put this into something that's a little more recent. When it comes to the IndyCar aero screen, all right, let's 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 see what a when a spin happens and a tire hits it like we saw at Barber Motorsports Park and the and the wheel bounced off. Now I want to see what and I want to push it all up to the limit. I want to see a that car run into a, a a stationary bar like like it's playing limbo and I want to see it run into that. I want to test that. I want to I want to test the limits. I want to push the limits of this deal. What is the G-force? What's the speed? What's the you know all those all these factors that that the computer simulation is putting into what you're throwing into it in real life because i feel like that's your responsibility if you're designing a new car and you see safety feature that okay great it passed this test where this driver walked away from this crash it looked absolutely awful great well what what's it going to do if i double that if i double the impact i double the g forces i double the, the the speed and the impact so you mean you might be running the speed like this be crazy but let's run a car at 225 miles an hour in a pack around daytona and talladega and see what happens in a crash you know that's something i would i mean that's crazy you're never going to get that speed but i want to see what the car does at that point right i i do you understand what i'm saying rob i i um and i, I hope do. We, you do okay uh, and i know uh hopefully you're listening to get this too i just want to test that test the limits where's that line uh what can we learn from that line you know um in in that sort of deal and and i'm not trying to make excuses or anyone i'm just saying what goes through my mind is is you know is this something that is more is serious and then we just don't know a lot of it at this time someone knows stuff people know people know what's going on here and again this is maybe something that they went through with the cot car and the gin in the gin six car when it came out but social media and leaking is a whole different game than it was Back in 2012, all right? It's a whole different game. It's a whole different game than it was back in 20... 20- well, Gen 6, I think, got a little... There was there were leaks of the Gen 6 cars when the diecast got released. Well, I'm talking about the, the, the information as far as the safety. You know, okay, safety, yeah, the, 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 information yeah. regards to the safety. That's, that's yeah. a good point. That's a very good that, point. That's a, that's a completely different ball game compared to tw- 2012 compared to 2021. Completely different ball game. And then you talk about a way... You're talking about a different universe compared to tw- 2006 compared to 2021 so you know these are things that you just unfortunately got to there's going to always be talk and when you have people talking you have people posting on 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 uh the internet you're going to get this talk um so that's all that's kind of why that was my two cents that's just worth about a penny and a half um that i wanted to share I mean, well you, got, you know i think that's here. okay um gonna move on here uh 
And this is a, this is another big piece. So we have two big real piece, big yeah. controversial notes here in NASCAR. So I'm going to read this this news story first, and then I'm going to kind of explain some of the backlash to it. So yeah. a repave has finally arrived at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Work is slated to begin this this week. It will also include a reconfiguration, but not to the original oval configurations as many lobbied for. Per the Atlanta Motor Speedway press release, quote, following 10 months of confidential research, development, testing, and simulation with engineers and iRacing, the reprofile will increase the current 24-degree banking in Atlanta's turns to 28 degrees, higher than any other inter intermediate track on the current NASCAR circuit. Straightaway banking will remain at 5 degrees. In addition to the new banks, the racing service will become narrower with an overall decrease in width from 55 feet to 40 feet. New widths will be four, 52 feet on the front stretch, 42 feet on the back stretch, and 40 feet in this turns. Drivers don't like this. Drivers yeah. are angry. Denny Hamlin is mad about this. Kyle, Kyle Busch was the most ad most upset. And his tweet, his uh, statement in the press conference was very interesting. So Bob Pockers, I tweeted this, and Bob Pockers posted the video of, of Kyle. And he, Kyle was right. Kyle was absolutely right. When you look at what we saw at Atlanta, and we're going to get into this race discussion in a little bit, but when you look at what we saw at Atlanta, you see a track that's very old and very worn, but still can provide very good racing. Yes. Okay, Atlanta has this beautiful ability to provide three and four wide racing and three grooves all around the racetrack. And, you know, it's it's set up several great finishes. It's set up several great battles before. It's just a perfect racetrack. It's almost one of the most perfect racetracks. It's just it's sweet spot where the surface was perfect has come and gone. Yes. And the surface is now complete crap. And I, I, I saw I saw close-ups of this surface. This surface looks terrible. I would not drive my car on that surface if I had. I mean, it honestly looks terrible. And well, when they you, said it was you, the second oldest surface on the NASCAR Cup circuit, it didn't yes. surprise me. Yes. Um, only Dover's older, I think. Yeah, Dover is, is the only older one. And Dover looks heck of a lot better than Atlanta ever will. Yeah. Especially concrete. right now. Concrete. But what Kyle Busch said. Was he mentioned? Okay, so he said Kyle Busch seems really upset, and a lot of drivers also seem really upset. And it really seems to be more and more you're starting to see these drivers get frustrated because, and we're going to talk about this again in in the upshift downshift in the racing discussion. But I think it's really important to talk about now and kind of get out of the way because you're really seeing this strong driver pushback at the fact that their opinions are not being heard. They're the ones out there ultimately putting on the show. They're the ones out there ultimately doing most of the work that's getting televised. They're the ones out there basically making the racing happen. And if they're not happy, I think you have a severe problem. You cannot right. go out there and create a racetrack that is what Atlanta's trying to do. I mean, this looks great in simulations, they say. You know, it works looks great in iRacing. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. But you want to know what else? You know what else? I, I, I've, I've seen a lot of these tracks in iRacing, you know, you know, or in NR2003. That's that's a similar build to iRacing. You know, a lot of those these fun tracks that have like two grooves. You know, I, I I'll, I'll I'll name drop one. You ever uh, if you're an NR2003 player, you know Ricky Raceway. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what Atlanta's gonna be. You know how crazy that is. You know how you dread that every time you have to race in that in League Night and 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 all that stuff. You know how much you dread that race? No, you. some people don't dread that racetrack, but I dread that racetrack because it's just tar too darn narrow. It's too darn fast. You're in a pack. You can't pass, and it's just annoying, and that's what Atlanta's going to be. Based upon what Kyle Busch described, you say you have a two-groove racetrack like Darlington where everybody's running up high because you basically – Kyle Busch said you basically – when they reduce that width, it's going to take away the whole bottom line, and you're going to 
raise the banking. So it's going to be like Darlington and Talladega had a weird baby, just which reminds me of Ricky Raceway. Seriously, if you're not familiar with this, I recommend you look it up on YouTube right now. There's plenty of, of videos of NR2003 Ricky Raceway. Josh, you could do this too. R-I-K-K-I Raceway. I'm serious. You got to look this up to just truly see what I'm talking about. And this is what I'm worried about. That's what I'm worried about because this that's a game. That's a game. That that track was essentially made to be a challenge to everybody and also to create the most spectacular crashes. Okay? Now, that, that track is two grooves at most. Maybe two and a half at most. Every time – I don't keep it in my game very often because it's not fun. It's not fun to, for me to drive. I like to drive old Atlanta. I like to drive Charlotte. I like to drive even other fantasy tracks more than I like to drive this – that one. I don't. I don't think drivers are going to like this. I really don't. You're, Kyle Busch mentioned something of it being like Talladega because that's probably what you're going to get. That high banking. You're probably going to get something. A lot more drafting is going to be done. You know, and it just really does concern me. It really does concern me. It makes me wonder if NASCAR is about racing or entertainment. Well, it's and certainly showing the line at this point. I mean, I think. I mean, you gotta. I don't know. I. I there's certainly the competition side is is needing some attention and um if this is this is another thing people brought this up on on twitter you know you look at srx you look at the xfinity series you look at that those types of racing and you wonder what no wonder people talk so highly about those things why are people constantly tuning into srx why are xfinity ratings so consistent it's literally because this is the better. This is what people want. You have the people who actually like racing, watching the Xfinity series, watching SRX, and the people who really like entertainment. They'll watch the Cup series, or most people watch the Cup series just because it's Cup series. They don't know what they do, but they complain about it after. Yeah. And the people who watch the Xfinity series, the only thing they're complaining about is Kyle Busch winning. That's the only thing anybody can really honestly complain about at the Xfinity series. The quality yeah, of racing is right. excellent. The challenge to the drivers is excellent. It's much easier to pass. You typically always have a much better show. And now, much like everybody always wants, you have young drivers coming up through the ranks and tearing it up in the Xfinity series. This is what's happening. Look at Ty Gibbs. Ty Gibbs is really good. It's really fun to watch him race. You know what I mean? And yeah. then you have the 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 veterans out there like Justin Allgaier still going strong, still winning races. You know what I mean? That's what people want when they watch the Xfinity series. And that's what they get, and they get good races. When they watch the Cup Series, they watch one or two guys maybe dominate, and then you watch a lot of cars struggling to pass on restarts. Yeah, and that's really yeah. what you get. You get spread out races, or not not really spread out races, but close together races where it looks path. like good racing, but it's a false idea because nobody can pass. Yes, you're you're basically it's down entirely to momentum and all this other stuff. My point is. It's not going to create good racing. They think it will. The wolf in shapes clothing. They think it will. And, and and the drivers are upset for not being consulted. Because, yes, I think you have to consult the drivers when you are you repaving a track. You yes, Atlanta needed to be repaved. We get that. If you're going to change the configuration, if you're going to repave, you repave. All right? That ha- but if you're going to reconfigure, reprofile a track, you have to consult the drivers on that. The repave, if they were to say, we're just repaving, we're going to rip up the concrete, or the, the, we're going to rip up the surface, five feet down and we're going to put all brand new stuff down we're just going to put asphalt down you know and we're going to age it we're going to put limestone on it we're going to we're going to take some of the new out of it we're not going to fine grade it like you have a highway done we're going to leave it where it's a little rough great so you're going to get a little extra tire wear off the start than you would typically 10 15 years ago if you were to repave 
But if you're going to reprofile a track, or you're going to, especially an oval, you need to consult the drivers. I mean, if you look at what what SMI has done to other racetracks when they repro, Texas is ruined. Texas is destroyed. Kentucky is not nearly as fun as it once was. Drivers used to like racing in Kentucky. Now they don't care. Now it's not nearly as fun. The races are dull and boring. And, and Kyle Busch brought up Bristol. Bristol's different. Bristol was bad for a while. It has kind of fallen into its own. It's kind of gotten... I didn't... Okay, Bristol had some bad races for a while when they were all highline fests. But once that bottom groove started to become more obvious and you had two easy you had two racing grooves then it became fine but i but i mentioned those i mentioned kentucky and i mentioned texas we're not even going to kentucky anymore we we've pretty much told kentucky to go take a hike and that's not fair to kentucky i don't think but i digress but texas is ruined texas is entirely ruined you are not going to come away with that and i worry about atlanta because what they're doing is they're risking an incident like Texas, where you're going to ruin the race racing surface, you're going to ruin the race track, and you're going to make it almost impossible for the quality of racing that you're trying to to create to happen. Yeah, I agree. Look, we've spent a lot of time on this. I want to move on, but it's very concerning. We're going to talk about this more later on in the show. But let's for now, let's move on to our featured pain scheme. We're going ahead and do a revisit of the 2003 NASCAR Winston Cup Series. Now, the first time we did this was August 13th, 2019. So it's been a long time, pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic. That's how long it's been since we have talked about this specific year and this specific paint scheme. Now, there's a lot of paint schemes that I wanted to pick. I settled on mine. Uh, but Josh, uh, who did you pick for your follow-up to the 2003 NASCAR Winston Cup Series? Well, the first one I chose was Robbie Gordon's number 31 singular wireless FDNY Special Olympic Chevrolet. Uh, so I wanted to share that. So this time, and Rob, this is very highly likely that I potentially stole the one you wanted to do. Um, and for that, I apologize. But I'm, I'm picking Casey Atwood's number 91 Mountain Dew Livewire Dodge for Everham Motorsports. This was an R&D car for Everham following, uh, you know, Atwood being fired from Ultra Motorsports before the 2000 and uh, two season even ended. Um, this car w uh, has two different shades of orange with lightning bolts around the car, so kind of similar to the um, packaging at the time for uh, for Livewire, uh, Mountain Dew Livewire. And uh, he only ran this car once at Pocono Raceway in June. He qualified 34th and finished 40th due to an engine failure. So, I mean, just R&D hell at that point. You know, he just kind of got what was coming there, and, and Everham was trying to keep him... I, you know, in the in the fold there, but unfortunately, it didn't work out for Atwood. He eventually went to Fitch Bradshaw in the Bush Series. So, but I just like the car. I'm a, I'm a fan of Mountain Dew. Um, so that's uh, partly why I chose it. But it's also one of those one-offs that uh, were less common, I guess, back then. I you you could say uh, compared to those now, you got these one-off paint schemes. But uh, you know, one-offs R and D cars. That you you just don't see that now, so that's why I chose mine. Rob, what was yours? It was yours, and now <laughs> I feel like an idiot for not even reading yours. So now I'm gonna change mine to my backup on the fly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it's actually now going to be Derek Cope's number thirty-seven friendly Chevrolet. Oh my gosh, that's a great one. Ah, thank you. This was my backup. This was my backup. So I'm glad that I, I had this one pulled up just in case. 
Um, this this was a beautiful car, and I don't know if it how much TV time it got, if it got any TV time, what it's over, but I remember this car. Now, I have a fun memory about this car, actually. Uh, and so, to describe it, it was uh, red, and it was black. Um, it was red hood, and it had white stripes, white accent stripes along the red, separating the red from the black, Yeah, which was very nice. Uh, this was a bad, absolutely beautiful car. Now, first time I ever ate at a Friendly's. This was 2003. My parents and I, we were on vacation. We were up seeing uh, our cousins up in New Hampshire. And we were up, that was the first time, ever, well, not the first time, but it was the first time I was really conscious. Uh, and I was up in, in New Hampshire. And we ate at a Friendly's. Uh, well, I don't know if we were in Pennsylvania or New York, whatever, but the um, point is we ate at a Friendly's while we, were, while we were on this vacation. And I remember because they had uh, a placemat that you could you could draw and you could color in for the kids. Right. And keep in mind, I'm like seven, eight. I'm, yeah, I'm like seven or eight at this point. So I'm a kid. And uh, I, I knew this car. I knew this car from, from watching NASCAR. I watch NASCAR every week, of course. Cup Series. Cup Series, Bush Series, whatever. I watch it every week. Um, and so I, and I got this, this crayon pack. And it didn't have black. It didn't have a black crayon. And I wanted to, and I knew, I, I told the waiter, I said, but the car that this sponsors is black. I need a black crayon. And the waitress, I, I, God bless her. I know, you know, it's one of those things where nobody realizes the impact they have on somebody else's lives. Um, but it, it, you know, it's little things like this and this, this nice waitress, I don't know her name. I don't, I don't remember her face at all, but I remember her gesture. Yeah. She goes back into the back and she digs through all the crayons or whatever just to find me a black crayon that's awesome so that i could color in the rest of this car and because i had a red cray i had a red crayon i had a white crayon you know i had, I had everything i needed to color this car but i didn't have a black crayon yeah. um and so she got me the black crayon and i i never forgot that i never forgot that so i wanted to pick that's why this i wanted to tell that story along with this this pick because I think that story was a lot better than Derek Cope's entire racing career in this car. It was a complete disaster. Look at this. DNQ, 43rd, 29, 43rd, 42, 43. DNQ, 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 40, 43rd, 35, 42, 36, 34, DNQ, 39, DNQ, 35, 38, 37, 42, 40, DNQ, 43. That's horrible. Very, very bad finishes. That's very bad hard. finishes. It is a yeah. miracle that I even saw this car on TV. You're probably right. You're probably you, you might have even saw it during a qualifying session, Rob, because that's no, my big right. you saw it. You're probably right. I watched a lot of Speed Channel when I was a kid, so Speed it doesn't Channel. surprise me. Of course, course. I mean, dude, when I was a kid, you're telling me there's a 24 seven NASCAR channel. Heck yeah, I'm gonna watch this. Oh wait a minute, you're telling me it's not 24 seven, and actually I have to sit through a bunch of auto related shows that I don't understand. Oh, but when there's NASCAR on, that's what I want to watch. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, but seriously, this was bad. Look at this. The best finish of 29th at Las Vegas. That 29th in the second race of the season was his best finish all well, year. Well, the second race of the season he made, right? Because he made. He made, he, yeah. That, that would have been the third race of the season because Rockingham was second, right? Yeah, he, he finished 43rd. He finished last at Rockingham, then finished 29th at Las Vegas. It would have been his best finish was at Las Vegas. And then did not finish outside – did not finish higher than 34th the rest of the season. That's not good at all. No. no. But, but hey, again, it's it's Derek Cope. So when 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 was when was the what was the best finish Derek Cope had? Let's see here. 
Last good season Derek Hope had was in 1996. 1997. That was the last top 10 Derek Hope ever had. was in 1997. He finished 8th, no, 5th at Atlanta. That was his last top 5. But his last, yeah, his last top, that was his last top 5 and top 10. was 8th at the season finale at Atlanta in 1997. 5th, excuse me, 5th at the season finale at Atlanta in 1997 was Derek Cope's last ever top five finish or top 10 for that matter. Well, I think that's a good way to transition into our first race top takeaway. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think we're, yeah, I'm going so long. I shouldn't Um, top takeaway. We're going to talk about the Xfinity series at Atlanta. Uh, It was won by Kyle Busch and uh, it was absolutely just dominated by him. Uh, it was also very interesting. There was a series of points there where I thought Daniel Hemrick was surely going to win his first ever Xfinity race. race. He should have won that race. He should. Oh, absolutely. Kyle, I, I think I think that one was a difficult one for Kyle because you could see it in the post in his you could see it in his body language at the in the post race after he got out. Like he, I, it didn't look like he was very happy to win that. Like I know Kyle Busch wants to win and anytime he wins he's going to be happy. But I think in that case he was like I think he wanted Hemrick to win more than he wanted to win, if that he makes any sense. He didn't even bow. He didn't even take no. a flag and bow. That's how I think he used the word solemn on that. I think he was extremely upset. I mean, he's like, wow. Like, he knew. As soon as he bumped, you know, uh, Hemrick, it's like that, those those videos you see on, on whatever social media platform, wasted. This is the moment he knew he screwed up. Wasted into the wall, like, oh, crap. And, and like he immediately went on and said that wasn't supposed to happen. And I know he caught a lot. I mean, how many of those boos were raining down from the stands after the race were because of you wrecked Daniel Hemrick, dude. And you know what? I think Daniel Hemrick, even in those late late race restarts, the first one was on uh, lap one fifty three, um, and then the next one he got wrecked on was on lap one fifty eight. I really do think that, or 159, excuse me, that he, uh, I think Hammer could have won both those. I think he had a better car there at the end, just purely out of handling, not necessarily speed, but handling over um, Bush. The only thing that was going to stop him from winning at that point was fresh tires behind him. And we even saw where maybe there was a few times where, okay, maybe if I put these colder scuffs on that, I might be able to outlast these guys for a few laps. Um, so he was a fan of seeing the, the Kyle Weatherman caution, but that's not necessarily a fan of his own. Um, that was, that was a bummer. I'm like, I, I, I was sitting there watching it and I'm, I'm, I'm writing up all the, 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 the good and the bad. I'm like, oh crap. I got a new ugly. I got to move the ugly to the bad. And I got to put the ugly was, was Kyle. I, 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 it was Kyle and, and Daniel and it really wasn't his fault. This wasn't, this was a racing incident. You know, that's plain and simple. Something a push went wrong. He went over the bumps. He traveled over them, and it didn't. And it didn't work out. Um, but yeah, I felt bad. I still felt so bad for him. The only thing I had else to say about this race it was a good race. But I think there was a missed opportunity here for Riley Herbst and the Stuart Haas team. Why in the world they didn't come down pit road on lap twenty during that competition caution that the lap twenty competition caution pit cycle to come down and put fresh sets on of tires and blow past the field because again you don't you play you playing devil's advocate you are not devil's advocate but monday morning quarterback you can't 
predict, well, I come down, down pit road, there's no guarantee that the rest of stage one is going to go caution free, right? Like it did, of course, you know, you come down pit road, alternate uh, time <laughs> timeline here. But that's a gamble I'm taking to come down, put fresh sets of tires on, blow the doors off everyone, get into top 10, get some track position, maybe get, maybe even win the stage, depending upon how the restart goes. Um, so I, I missed opportunity here because they are now further back in points. They were 43 points back entering Saturday's race. Now they are 54 back because he, he finished 18th, I believe it was. I think he finished, crap, I think like 14th, 19th in the stages, and then like 18th in the race. Was it 18th in the race? I'm going to double check here. Finished 19th in the race, my bad. <laughs> so just, just the boost opportunity for them. I mean, I just can't believe that. And then, Rob, do you think this is Kyle Busch's last Xfinity Series start we will ever see him? I'm going with no. no. I don't think this is the last one. Absolutely not. You have to be kidding yourself if you think this is the last one. I think I mean, at least next year we're going to see him in a in a race because Mars Corporation is going to go to Joe Gibbs. Go, hey, we'll it's like the Dale Jr. deal. We'll sponsor eight races amongst any of your cars if we can get a ninth one with Kyle Busch behind the wheel. I don't care. We don't care where it's at. Kyle, well, a track maybe he can win at, preferably a track he can win at and dominate. But yeah, I think he's going to be in a race next year for sure. I, and I don't have them? a problem with that. Huh? A track he can win at and dominate, so all of them. Well, yeah, but one he's maybe a little more guaranteed to lock in and get one he can guarantee in. I mean, not a road course, maybe a, a mile and a half. Wait, wait, you don't think Kyle Busch is a good road course racer? Well, next year, let's see. If no, a, well, with, AJ there, with AJ still burning in there next year, I think he'll be tough. Not sure where Noah Graxon's going to be. I think he's kind of a solid road course racer. He's just had some awful luck. Um... But with Austin Sindrick going up to Cup, I mean that's like that that's half of his main competition. But he's still going to contest with AJ Allmendinger. I'd rather go against him with the mile and a half track or intermediate track, something like that. Um But yeah, I, I think he'll be back. This isn't the last time we've seen Bush in an Xfinity series race. And I just want to throw this out here, Rob, because here's what I wish would happen. All right, and then we can move on to the cup. I wish with with the limitations, you're not going to be able to race in the four dash for cash races if you're a cup driver. You're not able to race in the seven playoff races or the regular season finale. So when the 33 race schedule right now, uh, right there, there's 12 races you can't race at. Okay, 12 races you can't race at. I would like to see if there's, especially if there's more standalone events in the future in the Xfinity series. If we get back to that. NASCAR saying, hey, you are limited to five races at tracks they're sharing when they're a companion weekend. But if it's a standalone race and you want to fly out there and compete in, in all five standalone races in the regular season, go ahead. Do it. So I would like to see that happen. So like Mid-Ohio next year is, a, is like a freebie. Um, if, you know, if they want to travel back and forth, that would be my deal. That's what I would like to see. Um, if if NASCAR is willing to consider that. All right, that's all I got to say. All right, time for the Cup Series. Uh, it was a former 100-mile race as opposed to a 500-mile race, and I kind of like that. Um, yeah, we've been, I we've been like, hammering for that for a while. That was a good, that, that was a good one. Um, a lot of controversy here about the finish. So first of all, I want to talk about the last couple of laps. Great racing between Ky- Kurt and Kyle. It Kurt was. Bush, Kyle Bush. Anytime we get a Bush Brothers uh, battle, it, it's great. 
I'm always happy anytime we get that because you know that they're both going to give it their all and they're not going to give an inch and it's going to be almost calculated. And it really was. It was quite honestly calculated by Kyle Busch, by Kurt Busch. Um, it was it was almost a game of 3D chess going going against those guys. It was really great. It was really fun to watch. Um, you know, and it was good competition. And I felt like the racing quality at Atlanta was actually very good. Like I've said, you know, I like, you know, this package is good for mile and a half. Uh, you know, as much as I hate the package, I think it's 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 made mile and a half much more watchable. Um, you, you know, I it's it wasn't the worst thing in the world that the cars were spread out. I think the only problem I think I had was again, and that's just this is just a problem I think with the Gen Six is just how much momentum is is king when it comes to some yeah. of these these racetracks. Yeah. You know, you're you're just almost better off taking the high line as often as possible in some cases, just to have more momentum running up on the guy. I think, yeah. you know, sure, the bottom line might be the quickest way around, but you just, in depending on the situation, you're better off taking the high line. And that could just be frustrating, because it should really be which groove your car performs best in, not which groove can get you the most momentum, because everybody else is running full throttle. Right, right. Frustrating, um, but... Uh, but that 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 could I could say that about any almost any race we've had all this all year. But I'll, I'll focus on the good parts. And this was a good battle. A lot of people, you know, Kyle Busch fans, Kyle Busch himself, giving a lot of criticism to Ross Chastain, you know, for what he did in the final laps. Basically, all he did was he kind of blocked Kyle Busch, help his teammate out. He played good teammate. He did. He did. He did. Okay, look, look. The Kurt and Ross are looking for a ride next year. They're basically looking for a ride. We have no idea who Trackhouse is going to pick as a second driver. It could be anybody. It could be Kurt. It could be Ross. Who knows? It could be be neither of them. It could be somebody completely random. It's probably not going to be Joey Gase. I hope it's not Joey Gase, but it could be Joey Gase. Um, You know, I know, Josh, you're throwing up. I don't even know why I said that. I feel sick even suggesting that. Um, I almost said Bailey Curry. any, Any terrible driver that drives for Rick Ware doesn't want to improve their racing career and just is fine running around in the back and, and paying money to ride around at the back for some stupid reason. I don't know. At least try and get a good truck ride or something. I don't know. Nice Motorsports is handing out good rides like candy. Go ahead and grab one of those. Uh, the same goes for uh, DGR. They're, they're handing out good rides like candy. Go take one of those. Um, point is, uh, you know, we don't know who's going to race for Trackhouse. So, next season. So I think Ross Chastain did exactly what he was supposed to do is be a good teammate. You know, when you're trying, when you're auditioning for a, a race, if when you're auditioning for a, for a seat next year and you're in a race, but it's not going your way. I mean, Chastain was struggling to stay in the lead lap. Most of the day, the car just was not as fast as Kirk Bush's. I mean, he wasn't slow, but it, you know, he was kind of at the tail end of the lead, the lead lap. Most of the time he was, you know, towards the front of the, of the, of the lap down cars just wasn't the greatest of days, which happens. You know, Chastain's had good days, he's had bad days, and that's what everybody has, especially in this new era of racing that NASCAR is consistent, consistently harping on that we have. You'll have good days, you'll have bad days. Chastain was having himself a bit of the off day. It just so happens that, hey, the his teammate, the leader, is battling for the position in the closing laps. Oh, hey, I think I'll let my guy, my teammate go, and I'll make it harder for the second-place guy. You know, that's what literally anybody, any good teammate does in that situation especially if you're auditioning for a ride you need to tell team owners hey i'm a good teammate i'm a good teammate i'm still gonna help out and make sure that the team overall as a whole is doing well even if i'm personally not having the best race what happened at the atlanta race in the spring do you remember 
I do not, but Joey I should. Logano, Joey Logano might have held up Kyle Larson, which allowed Team Penske teammate Ryan Blaney to catch Kyle Larson and pass him ultimately for the lead. Same thing. It's the same difference, you know, and uh, I see no difference in in what Joey did in March compared to what Ross Chastain did here in July. This I don't is, think there's any real problem with using a car as a pick. I don't know no, what there's the... No, there's nothing. It's a, it's a teammate. It's a, again, teammate. You're playing good teammate. You are... Mm-hmm. You, you're, you're the team overall. Look, I'm having a day. Even if I'm running 12th, I'm having a crappy day. But you know what? My teammate's running second, and I have an opportunity here to hold up the leader because my excuse would be this staying on the lead lap. Okay, air quotes, staying on the lead lap. No, your 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 goal here is to hold that driver up, make him frustrated, use up those tires. All right, have him make mistakes that allows your teammate in second place to close the gap. And then when you say, "Hey, teammate, you go low. I'm going to go high," and you force this the, 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 your competitor to be a pick or to be picked by me, and you get by him. That's just good. That's just that's racing. I like it. It's it's a little bit. It's a little bit of gamesmanship. Maybe not gentleman racing. All right, but you know what? I don't care. It is. It 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 is. It it makes it a little more entertaining. Adds an extra layer of uh uh. What are you going to talk about on Monday morning or Tuesday morning whenever we the competition meeting? All right. How could we have done that better? Could we have executed that better if you didn't succeed it? If you didn't succeed in in the pick, if you didn't succeed in holding up the leader, um, or like how 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 did we do this? How did you do that, Ross? How did what did you do specifically to do that we can use that later on? Of course, they probably know these things, but I'm just saying it adds an extra layer, and I like it. I enjoy it. I don't have I have zero issue with what Ross Chastain did, just like I had zero issue with what Joe Logano did. I even think that if if Chastain is Fighting to stay in the lead lap, he has every reason to. I mean, dude was running twentieth. He, he should. Was, he shouldn't just pull over and and he, let. Well, he finished one lap down. He finished uh, one lap down. I know, finished, but prior yeah, to yeah. that, prior to that, he was still running in the top twenty. Yeah, well, yeah, he finished. He, could, he, finished he has every right to fight for his his lap back. It's not like he's running thirty fifth. It's not like he's running. You know, back in the field, he's running in the top twenty. He's trying to just keep on the lead lap, stay on the lead lap. He has every right to do that. It doesn't yeah. matter that it's low down in the race. You want to finish on the lead lap if you can, because that's a big accomplishment if your day hasn't been that great. It's just, yeah. just say, hey, well, you know what? We didn't have that great of a race, but hey, we finished on the lead lap. We got some good points out of it. Let's, you know, regroup and try and again, go again. I mean, it's every right reason to race the leader as hard as he can. And then once he's gone that lap down, why the heck should he, you know, why, why should he um, race the second place guy? He has no reason to now. He just lost the position. He's not going to get it back. So just go ahead and let the second place guy go go catch it. Even if he's he's not doing it on purpose, he still has every right to do it. Yeah. He still has every right to do it. So I don't I don't I don't have a problem with what what Chastain did. Yeah. Um, that's all I have to say about the Cup Series. Uh, and I want to move on to SRX because I want to try and keep this relatively short. Um, SRX was won by Marco Andretti. This was Marco Andretti's first major win in anything that I could find. Since June 25th, 2011. Yep. It has been a little over 10 years to the date since the last time Marco Andretti was in victory lane of anything. It almost fell out of place. I, it, like They were doing this, these interviews of Marco Andretti's the winner. It almost fell out of place. They're like, are you sure about this? 
It's just it, it it's something that just has not happened. And this is not an insult to Marco. I mean, believe me, I am so happy for Marco. I put out a story on Marco Andretti this week. I was so happy. It was just a quick little story for you know some nice SEO magic. You know how it goes. Um, but it's, even then, it's a byline. I take it. Um, but it, it, even saying that, this was huge for Marco and. When I talked about that, you know, there was Marco said he was in discussions with a potential NASCAR Xfinity Series ride. Mm-hmm. Yep. After looking at Marco Andretti and SRX, now granted, you know, it's taken him a little while. He's still learning. He's still he's kind of still learning stock cars. He's still kind of learning short ovals, but he's quickly showing he's a fast learner because he wins a heat race at Eldora. He goes out. He runs in the top five pretty much most of the day at, at IRP, and then he goes and he wins at Slinger. The next week, and he's he, by running in the top five. I don't think he left the top five all day. I don't think Marco Andretti left the top five at Slinger all day in in both heats and in the feature. I think Marco Andretti was cons- was one of the only drivers behind Tony Stewart, and Luke Fenhouse that were consistently up in the top three the oh, entire yeah. those, night. Those were the three best cars all night long in that race, Hand and those were the down. three drivers who were probably going to win the race no matter what when it came down to it. Yep. And and Marco said Marco said he wasn't happy. He said he felt like it wasn't a popular win. I, look, man, Fenhouse has got a long career ahead of him. Okay, Marco, you got nothing. You got nothing to feel bad about. This was your first win in anything in ten years. Enjoy it. Well, like, I do, think he's if, just if I'm in those stands, win. if I'm in those stands, I do not care that Marco Andretti won this race. I am happy for Marco. Everybody, I think, should just be genuinely happy for Marco for being able to step out of his comfort zone and try something new and have success in it. Because well, everybody think- has been sitting there wondering, is Marco Andretti a good driver? Is he is he as good as his dad is, or is his grandpa? And I think we're now, I know it's only been, what, five races in NSRX. I know that's it. But he finished fourth in class when he went out in, in, in Dits, IMSA. I really am thinking that as I've said about a lot of other drivers, sometimes the series you're in isn't the right series for you. It's like relationships. It's like colleges. It's like churches. It's like a lot of things. Sometimes the one that you're in, you think is the be all end all. You find out later, once you expand your horizons a little bit, you realize, no, there's other places out here that are much better suited for me and my needs. And I think Marco is having this great opportunity to be able to realize that, that, hey, I'm not bad at this stock car thing. I was felt he probably felt depressed, like he's not good enough when he's an IndyCar. He did so much work with a sports therapist trying to just get his head on straight. And I think this was the best thing he could have done because now he's gone out and he showed everybody that Marco Andretti is still here. He's 34 years old. He's still got a lot of time left, and he's still got plenty of time to go out and win more races. And that's what I think he's going to do. So overall, I was very impressed with Marco's performance in this race. I was very entertained by this SRX race period. This was fantastic racing from start to finish. Uh, not once did I feel the need to take my eyes off the television, which is very seldom anymore. I have the worst attention span in the world. I almost always pick up my phone at least once or twice, like every 10 minutes when I'm watching a program of anything. And I hate that. I try to put my phone away so that I'm not doing this. This SRX race, man, I, did, I, had, I had no reason to pick up my phone until after that race was over and, and send some tweets. I had no reason to. I was glued to the TV from that moment. Josh, do you have anything to say about SRX before we move on to the truck series at Knoxville? Oh, I just wanted to say, I to, to to go back to your not popular one. I just think he was talking about. Look, he beat the local guy, like Finhouse. If uh, if Deegan and Paul Tracy don't tangle, Finhouse wins that race. 
All right. Van House had that race won. And I think he, he knew uh, I got a little lucky with this one. He had, I mean, look, he had one of the three best cars. A couple restarts go differently. He's leading that race before that even happens. All right. And he could have been in Finn House's shoes. And on that, and on that final restart, he gets beat. All right. So uh, I just think, I, I think he was, I think he was being a little self deprecating. And it's saying this isn't popular. And look, yeah, it's not going to be a popular win with the 9,500 people that were there at the track. All right, maybe. But if when you're looking at the national audience and people who are watching this race, you are following this race, whether you're watching on TV, following it on social media, um, it was a popular win. And Andretti is back in victory lane. It's going to be, you know, that's something we're going to talk about. I'm going to remember, I unfortunately didn't get to watch the race live. I watched it on Sunday morning, but I followed like, okay, wow, wow. This guy won while well, I was following it, while well, I was out and about. Uh, on Saturday night, and I'm like, wow, this is great, awesome. Andretti won. I mean, like, even SRX, like Marco Andretti, three explanation points. Like, did he win? Did he wreck? What did happen? Like, we, they don't tweet that out. If he doesn't, if he doesn't win, he he obviously won this race. So I enjoyed it. The racing at the court at this little quarter mile was fantastic. I I mean, it was. I mean, we had elbows out racing was our title last week. It was elbows out racing the entire 150 laps of that race. Even under caution, they're like, I don't have any time to breathe while I'm on this front stretch. There's no, that's 300 or 330 feet long. I don't have any time to, to think about it. And he, and, and Alan Bestwick really put it well for people who didn't really grasp how short this track is. Go to your local high school and go to your football field or your track and field location. This track is that long. All right. It's that long that short is that short i uh, don't you wish you could have completed the mile run in high school middle school in like 40 seconds rob <laughs> 40 <laughs> seconds are you kidding me this is they were they said they were, that it, like sprint cars were lapping under 10 seconds yeah, the, the fact the record there is 9.8 they were turning 12 second laps so 48 seconds so imagine finishing that mile run that you had to do in 48 seconds and I think I don't know how what my best time was. I can't remember. I've slept since then a couple times, just a few times. And but but still, that was this an amazing perspective for Alan Bestwick to put in that that in case you didn't grasp how short this track was because they'd be going to, you know, Stafford was a, was a half mile, um, Eldora Knoxville are half miles, uh, IRP is six tenths of a mile essentially, and now you're talking about a track that was half that length. And they were flying around there. I was enjoying it. You know, I hope there's going to be a second season of this. All right, next year. And I and I kind of hope that they go to different tracks. But Slinger is one of those tracks. I hope they go to again next year because that was a fen- phenomenal racing. Um, you know, it obviously was. I forget how many lead, they had as many lead changes in this race as a Talladega or Daytona race in, Day- in in NASCAR. I mean, yeah, it was only among three drivers. Who cares? They were lead changes. So I enjoyed the race phenomenally. Um, great racing all around, especially for up at the front. And uh, yeah, I, I I I feel so happy for Marco, and I hope he gets an opportunity to run some from some Xfinity races because he's I think he's learning. He's a quick learner. Yeah, he says he's thirty four years old. That's not old at all. Um, he can he can pick up these things. Um, and I would love to see him get a shot at not just one or two, but a good handful. Of Xfinity Series races with with a quality car, I don't want him to, to to get behind the wheel of a car that is at best fifteenth, and and that's with a guy who knows what they what what they're doing in a in a car. But uh, as one of these teams we're going to talk about later, um, 
that's number 23 in the Xfinity series. Maybe he could get a shot with them. That would be a really good car. Um, Rob, let's go to what was what, what's going to be remembered as um, a NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race at Knoxville. Yeah, this whole race at Knoxville thing, man, I got to tell you, I, I know NASCAR is really seems to be committed to this whole dirt track thing, but they got to get it. There's a lot of things they got to get figured out about how to run a proper dirt race. And well, I, I can tell you one of the things they got to do. I can tell you one of the things they got to do. Go for it. They've got to accept that when it comes to this dirt racing, that your 150 lap feature in a 3,000 pound car or truck is completely different than a 40 or 50 lap feature in a sprint car in our late model, dirt late model. They need to go back to this halftime deal, all right? You got five minutes to fix your car. You don't have five minutes to get the tractors up and running to get out on the track and treat it and to, and, and to fix it up. They have to kind of massage that dirt. I thought not – look, we're going to get to it in a second, but that at the end of this race – Part of the problem was that the drivers gave no Fs to respect for their fellow competitor out there. None whatsoever. There's like, you know what? You can't shut the door on me. I'm going to shut the door on you, and you're going to go up into the wall. So that was part of the problem. But the reason that the problem existed was that the track became a one-groove racetrack. The outside was no longer there. So, look, Rob, I I told you, I I love one-groove racetracks. They're great. I think they can put on great shows. But on dirt with a truck or a stock car, it's not going to be that good. It doesn't matter if it's banked or flat like Knoxville, okay? Um, they have to accept that when these stages come out, we're going to be under caution for a while. Driver, you may even want to get out, all right? We're going we're gonna to take your time. We're gonna, you, you know, these guys are, are somewhat rushing even when they're pitting, if you watch this race. And, and, you know, they often went to, like, Derek Krause was the winner of the first two stages of this race, right? Um, I remember that right. But anyways, he, 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 you know, he got out there. They went to him. And uh, he, yeah, I know he at least won, yeah, stage one, yeah. So Derek Krause won both stages. So they zoom in on his car, um, or truck, at the end of the stage when they pits. The guys are still kind of rushing to get these tire changes. Yeah, they're not going to turn a 14-second pit stop. But they're still rushing a bit because they got all the adjustments they want to make. Well, you want to get to where, like, all right, we can walk up here, boom, 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 with the with the lug nuts, um, while the tractors go out there and the trucks go out there and kind of manicure the outside line. Don't really need to worry about the inside line, but the outside line you got to got to work in. And um, look, I think they should return to Knoxville. I know that's going that's going to be a hot take, but they have to accept that. We have to work on the track as the night progresses. We can't just say, all right, the track's going to change. It's going to evolve. No, you got to keep it at raceability for the entirety of the night. All right. And it was not raceability at lap 150. All right. It just was not there. It took four overtimes to get this race in, folks. Four overtimes. I think they're still wrecking out in Knoxville. All right. That's how, that's how long this race took. Hey, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed the, the that kind of beating and banging, but the, the respect was was lacking. That was that was the problem. Um 
Rob, I know you tweeted, maybe it's time to go to single file racing. At that point, it was too late. They were they, they couldn't go with the single no, file. No, I race. said single file restarts. Restarts, that's what I meant. Like, yeah, single file restarts. They were there. At that point, it was too late. Single file restarts, excuse me. That was too late. They couldn't go to that. At that point, they're like, they're admitting. Why not? What, what, what was they're admitting defeat. They're, they're admitting defeat in this situation. They couldn't do that. I, I know. But I know. Well, they, I, we got to remember when they went to that single file racing or restarts, excuse me, at Bristol, look, yeah, a good chunk of racing left. They had a few, they only had, I mean, one or two restarts after that. But that was also for dust clouds and had a good reason. They're wrecking. Well, what, they're wrecking. So we're going to go to single file restarts. That's not, no, that, that's not going to fly. That's not going to fly with the drivers and the teams, even if the drivers you know, are, are, are not respecting each other. I know I'm, I'm kind of going on here a lot, but look, my deal is, is that they got to work the outside group. They have to say at the end of stage one, we're going to take 20 minutes and we're going to, and we're going to work on that outside lane, re-repair, prepare the outside lane for uh two lane racing to a two groove racetrack. All right. And then you can take a page out of, your old your old TNN and ESPN coverage is back from the 90s and your CBS with SRX coverage and during that break show a good piece tell a good story all right what is who is a guy in this race Donnie Shots tell his story why is he here tonight because i promise you as crazy as this sounds there was some NASCAR fan out there wondering, who is this Donnie Schatz guy in the 17 truck? I never heard of this guy. Well, let me tell you. Guy's got 300 wing sprint car wins. He's got, what, 10 championships in the in the World of Outlaws? Okay, he's got he's won a lot. There's only one guy who's won more championships than him, and his name is, is Kinzer, okay? So tell that story, all right? Well, who's another guy in the field who's maybe a regular you can spotlight? Why was Derek Krause so good? I expected him to do good. All right? So why can't you tell that story or tell another story somewhere? Um, you know, use that time wisely and interview the drivers. If the drivers are going to get out, stay in the car. I think, look, there's a lot they can take away from this SRX stuff, all right? S, you know, and just learn from the coverage of what they've done and, and how can these truck races evolve with this dirt with this dirt package and that's all i'm going to say about that for now rob i don't know what you have to say and anything else you want to talk about but uh i know there's one thing i want to talk about later in this truck race um that had to do with the, the 99 truck but is there anything you wanted to say about that i really don't have much else to say about the truck race uh, i said a lot of it on twitter i i just look man i nascar needs to figure out how to do dirt racing they're the, the current way they're doing it like you i mean they, I mean, your suggestions are just as valid, you know, anything to fix the, the current nonsense. I mean, the, the finish, the finish of this race was just unacceptable. I'm yeah. sorry. The finish of this race was just unacceptable. The final 20 laps of this race were absolutely unacceptable. I mean, the, the, you're, you're, you're trying to put on a race in front of this totally new market and you crap the bed in front of them because I'm pretty sure most people who went out and saw this truck race at Knoxville have never seen a race take four overtimes to complete. Well, and it, and, and, and I can't, I can't put the full blame on NASCAR again. No, 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 I'm, I'm not I, putting I, a full I, blame yeah, on NASCAR. Yeah. It's, it's as much as on the drivers as, yeah. as it is on, okay. on NASCAR. 
I figured you're saying that. I just wanted to make sure to clarify that for the listeners. Yeah, no, it's as much as on the drivers. It's more so on the drivers because they're the ones behind the wheel and they're the ones who needs to un- need to understand when it's appropriate to go hard. And I understand, you know, under 20 laps, you're going to go hard as hard as you can. But there's also a limit when you're go. There's a limit and a line between going hard and being reckless. And they cross that line. And NASCAR, I think, should have stepped in and said something to the drivers over, over the radio and just said, hey, Everybody keep your heads cool, calm down, you know, Let's finish we understand it. the race is almost over, but, you know, you still have to finish it. You still have to finish it. And it just seemed like nobody understood that to finish first, you must first finish. Yeah. Everybody was just, you know, doing stupid boneheaded moves in the last several re- overtime attempts. It was just ridiculous. I'm sorry, that that kind of stuff is unacceptable. And if NASCAR is going to actually pursue more dirt races in the future, then that that kind of thing needs to be squashed early. And situations that you described earlier, like you know, taking more time for track prep, that needs to be an actual series. I mean, dirt races need to be different than a yeah. pavement race. I mean, they they, that's they have to have different rules. They there has to be a different rule set. You cannot try and hybridize these rules because it is not going to work the way you think it will. That's yeah. all I have to say about the truck series race. Josh, if you have enough to say, we can move on to the weekend wrap up. I was just going to say, what did you think about the, the black flag on Ben Rhodes after the caution? Like come to the green, he gets the black flag that to me. I mean, you're telling, I didn't like I think that fell tell- into my category of NASCAR. You, you're just as much as fault for this forest as the drivers are. That was, I just didn't, I'm like, that was kind of, I'm like, he's going to get black flag, right? During this caution to come down pit road and, and get that fixed or get that taken out. I and mean, all they did was rip it out. Um, I just, I couldn't believe it. I, I know he, I don't know if the, oh, I forget his name now. Um, the guy who said the, the poop word on, uh, on national television, you shouldn't get fined for that. I don't think that's, that's fine worthy in my book anyway. Not on cable. On no, cable, no, nobody yeah. cares. And if well, you do I, care on cable, that you have many more problems than what whatever is going on, yeah. and, and I I don't TV. care if you said it on broadcast network. I don't I don't I don't care there either. Oh, trust I, me, the FCC does. I mean, remember the FCC cares a lot about what you could say on broadcast. Yeah, well, it's eleven o'clock at night. <laughs> I don't care. I uh, the FCC can. Yeah, or, I probably should say. Is that the freak on FCC? That I, I really kind of want to play that right now. Just just play it. We're going to take a break here, folks. We're going to hit play on the FCC Family Guy song real quick. We'll be right back after this. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. But well, um, I, I just didn't now agree we're with that. We're as off the rails as a truck race was now. We are, we, were, we were really off the rails there. But, I again, look, I think NASCAR has a place in dirt. We'll talk about this later. But you, if this year has shown anything, all right, you've, there's got to be some attention made during the in-race prep and, 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 you know, just accepting that there's going to be these long breaks. And if TV, you don't like that, then you shouldn't be broadcasting it. You shouldn't be saying we want dirt racing. All right. Because it's got to be different. You're not going to, you're, you're not going to go out there. All right. I, I, you're not going to go out there and see a 50 lap featured truck race, cup race, or Xfinity race. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. The truck race is going to be 150 laps. So you gotta make that work. The feature, the the the, the heat races to set the starting lineup order. By the way, the player, uh, the the passing points. Holy cow, that was crazy. Just have qualifying and have the cars re- 
the heat races be determined by where you qualified. Your fourth, the fourth place qualifier is going to start first in heat four, and have it run that way. There's no there's no reason to have heat races first of all if you're not sending anybody home. That's well, why I think that, I, I thought they were. I think they're dumb in SRX, but they have p- purpose at least is to set the field between the averages. But when you're doing heat races like this, and you're not really you're not eliminating anybody for the feature. You're just doing four heat races to take up some time to decide the the starting lineup. I mean, you could easily just year. qualify this and be done with it. Or well, you know, next year you do it like Bristol. Gonna... Like Bristol had heat races, and you actually had cars that could go home. Cars yeah. actually had to race their way in. Here, nobody's having to race their way in. So what's the point of having heat races? The point of a heat race is to race your way in. It is if you if you've already qualified for the race. Why should you have to race for your qualifying position? I don't understand. I think that was one thing they sort of kind of got right. They kept the format consistent throughout the dirt, but with them not sending, you know, with there not being qualifying, the loophole was 40 trucks start the race, right? You know, if this was non-COVID world, only 32 trucks start this race. So eight people are going home upset. Um, You know, seven, the top seven finishers had way more drama. And because you know we got a lot of drama in the heat races. The first time I remember, yeah. the first time we did the heat races at Eldora in 2013, mm-hmm. everybody yep. lost their their minds when Norm Benning made it into the LCQ or or whatever, or made yeah. it in, transferred into the main show. Everybody yeah. lost their mind. You know what? I understand you don't want any anybody to go home, but you at least have to. You know, if you if you can't produce that with heat racing, then you don't need to have heat racing. It's just kind I, of a filler to fill I, some time i think part of that might have been part of the passing points deal but again to me what made the first eldora races so good is that you had qualifying all right you said you had qual- it was a it was a it was a six hour affair to watch this truck race and that way i thought that was freaking fantastic you what you had you had the it was on a wednesday night you had the you had qualifying trucks went unqualified you set the, you set the lineup for the heat races that way First place, the, the the provisional pole sitter started first in heat one. Second place was first place, or first starter in heat two. Third place was first starter in heat three. Fourth place, first place starter in heat four. You do those. The top seven advance. Everyone else goes into the LCQ, all right, the B main, if you will, and the top four there advance and move on. That was great. That was great. I think just think now this year that they just, you know, let's keep it consistent. When we don't have qualifying, 40 trucks make the field. But the passing points deal, I'm like, this quali- this was run it, qualify it. If you don't want to send anyone home, great. Um, and start the line up that way. The passing points deal was, because I'm like, I don't think Derek Krause earned that myself. I don't think he earned that that pull, but good for him, you know, and good for his team. All right, I'm done with the truck series. I, truck series race, we can move on. You're okay. Let's just go on to the weekend wrap-up here. So the Slinger Nationals, we already kind of spoiled it. Luke Fenhouse became the youngest winner in race history at 17. And he's old. Holy cow. Yeah, he said the only driver he remembered racing and growing up during the SRX series was Tony Stewart, which made me feel real old because— Make me feel old. You know, I grew up with all of those drivers. Yeah. Now I feel really old. You know, I look at Elio Kanan and Michael Waltrip and Bobby Labonte. Hell, I'd grow up with all of those guys. Bobby Bill. Labonte. Bobby Labonte. I mean, first time I was at Indianapolis in 2000, he won that Brickyard. Of course I remember it. You know, you don't forget that stuff. And just, wow, wow. Um, 
And then Arca Menard series was at Elko, and this was one of the better Arca races, Josh. I'm, I I don't think you ever you got to see it, but this was seriously uh, an Arca race that was worth watching. I was actually very entertained throughout the entirety of this race. It was actually very good. Short 17 track. cars. 17 cars started, but man, you had a good finish. You had good overall racing, lots of passing, lots of lead changes, lots of comers and goers, even with the halftime breaks. It was very good. Ty Gibbs led most of the race, but then when it counted, you know, got shoved out of the lead and ended up falling back. It was, and Corey Heim took the win. It was, it was yeah. a great, great race. Um, Arca can put on good races, uh, I guess, whenever they feel like it. Short tracks. <laughs> Short tracks, true, yeah. Uh, hey, Formula E was in New York. We had the New York E Prix. Race one on Saturday was won by Max Gunter. Race two uh, on Sunday was won by Sam Bird. And then supercars were in Townsville for the Townsville 500, uh, which was whew, one race, 250 kilometers two uh, on Saturday. And then uh, the Sunday race was uh, 250 kilometers, both very long races, 87 laps around that thing. That was very long. Uh, 500 kilometers in total. It was a very long race, a lot, almost a, like an endurance race. Not quite the Enduros that uh, the supercars are used to racing on, but definitely much uh, longer races than a super sprint like that they usually have. So uh, just overall, SVG, Shane Van Gisbergen sweeping the weekend again. I mean, and he and he made a great, great comeback on, on Jamie Wincup in the second race. Just in general, uh, another great knockout performance for the supercars. So let's move on to the outstanding performance now. Josh, let's go ahead and start off with you. Who is your outstanding performance for the week? I want to give mine to our motorsports in the Xfinity Series. I hinted about the Merlayer. Um, these two cars ran in the top 10 all day. And it was the team's best day of the season. Um, they've been running three cars, or two cars, excuse me, since race number four of the year uh, when they purchased... Um, now I can't remember whose owner's points they purchased, but uh, for the 23 car. And Brett Moffitt's now run, is running the O2 all year long, wasn't originally declared for points, but has been running for points since Talladega. Um, they had Ty Dillon in the car this week. Um, this was a great race for them. I mean, this is, this is, I don't know, I don't want to call it straight up season changing for them, but it certainly is a big momentum boost for Brett Moffitt, who will have to win a race if he's to make the playoffs this year um with the xfinity with that xfinity team um he's got seven races left to do it um it probably doesn't help that they're going to have a race and then next week this coming week and then have two weeks off but our motorsports was extremely impressed by them uh they they and they turned around it drastically since from the first race over there they finished 30th and 40th in that in that race uh in march um but yeah, they just ran well all day long. Kind of really flew under the radar. And NBC didn't talk about them a whole lot um, as much as I thought they should have. But I just want to give them a shout out. Was really impressed by that team, that organization, and their speed. All right, uh, my outstanding performance is going to go to Marco Andretti for the reasons I listed earlier when I was talking about SRX. Overall, you know, this, this is this is first win in about over a little over ten years, ten years and in a handful of days. Pretty much since the last time Marco Andretti was in victory lane, so it's it's great to see him get there and and he drove a great race at Slinger. It was very tough track, very very tight track, you know. And he was putting it to Fenhouse and Tony Stewart, two guys who I would argue are far more talented than him on a short track. Uh, and he beat them both. So great job for Marco. I mean, he's showing you know the talent is still there. The talent never went away. 
just yeah, he probably shouldn't have spent as much time in IndyCar as he was, you know? Who knows? Um, but just a great, great opportunity for Marco to get out there and go get that win. And uh, it was just a great, great showing by him. So uh, moving on here, let's go into the upshift, downshift. If you're new to the show, welcome. Uh, upshift, downshift is our back and forth, I guess, segment. I mean, not like we are even haven't already had back and forth segments, but we're presented with a series. For back and forth. Yeah, the official segment. Uh, we're presented with a series of hypothetical questions and or statements, and we give our uh, reactions to those, whether we upshift it, meaning we agree with that, or we downshift it, meaning we disagree. We can also shift it into neutral if we have uh, difficulty choosing. Um, so the first question or the first statement, I guess, we're going to put here is the Camping World Truck Series should run three races on dirt per season. Do you upshift or downshift with a bonus of question of what should the tracks be? Josh, what is your answer to that? You know, I'm going to upshift. Again, I think they can do it right. If they can do it right, three all the way, I upshift. Um, I'm a, I'm a big believer that Eldora was going to be a race in between Knoxville and Watkins Glen here, this month off the truck's going to have, or it was going to be the week after Watkins Glen when the Cup is in Indianapolis, the Cup and Xfinity are in Indianapolis. They were going to run that, you know, Friday night um, in, uh, in Eldora that way because it's, you know, pretty close. Uh, too windy. Uh, but yeah, I, I upshift. I, I enjoy watching the trucks on dirt. I don't think the Xfinity and truck and the cup need to be on dirt that often, but the trucks just is that cool, you know, uh, series that it, the money to, yeah, it's very expensive to build a truck. All right. And, and to race a truck, but it, I feel like the learning curve is less for a guy like Donnie shots or a guy, a guy like uh, Brian Brown or, uh, Jake Griffin to come in here, Chris Wyndham, and run a truck, and and can be competitive in it. What those three tracks should be in my ideal world here uh, would would yes still be Eldora in Knoxville, and I'm going to throw this track out here. It it, it it's kind of falling out of the news here a little bit lately, just because there's some other stuff. But North Wilkesboro, if they return with North Wilkesboro into a dirt track, um, I would like to see the the trucks run there as well. So those would be my three tracks. So I upshift, and those are my three tracks. Uh, my answer is actually I'm going to be downshifting just because I don't think NASCAR has they they haven't figured out what dirt what what they need to do to go dirt track racing yet so I'm downshifting based upon that because I'm downshifting I don't really feel the need to pick two three tracks because I mean look man Knoxville Knoxville is fine they just needed to fix make more time to prep the racetrack in between cautions which they didn't do um, Bristol dirt's fine I guess if they're committed to that that's fine. And ultimately, you know, I guess if they needed, you know, I'm, I'd like them to see him go back to Eldora. I don't know. That deter- depends on how Tony Stewart and NASCAR are feeling this particular week. But, you know, if they can work through their tiff, I think it'd be great to see the truck series go back there because I think they put on a better show at Eldora than they did at Knoxville and on the Bristol dirt. Um, and that's just me. Um, moving on here to the next one here. NASCAR should allow lane selection at dirt tracks because restarting in the wrong lane can be race-altering. Do you upshift or downshift this, Josh? Uh, yeah, I upshift. This is the easy deal. Upshift. 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 Um, I don't know why they don't allow it. I really don't. Uh, maybe because everyone will pick the bottom, but you're still going to get people who are like, wow, the first 10 cars have picked the bottom lane. I'm running 11th. I'm going to gamble and go up high. And cars will and trucks will follow you up there. It's going to happen. Um, I mean, we see it 
at every other racetrack as well. The guys, you have a couple guys pick the bottom, a couple guys see the opportunity to gain positions, do it. Um, because obviously the high line there at the end was certainly a disadvantage for the second place guy, unless your name was Carson Hosevar. All right, he made it work. I don't know how he did, but maybe he just had that, you know, bigger guts to do it. But yeah, upshift, they need to allow it. Um, plain and simple. That's my answer. You know, honestly, I have to say I have to downshift this just because I, I feel like the choose cone. I understand, you know, we talk about NASCAR not listening to drivers. I think this was in a situation where NASCAR listening to the drivers was not the th- right thing to do because I just think the choose cone is. You know, I understand things can be race altering, but dude, you, you kind of have to play the college cards are dealt. If you restart on the outside, you don't really get to complain that, you know, if you restart on the outside and you're like, oh, restarting on the outside ruined my race. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, but that's racing. That's every, in every series. If you, every series that does double file restarts, you know, you're not always going to have the choice, lane, lane choice. Just accept it. You know, for years prior, you didn't have lane choice. You just kind of had to accept that you had to make do with what you had. Look, doing it on on dirt now just seems so excessive. I don't understand. I I don't know. I don't know. I I downshifted. It just seems so excessive. It just seems like one of those things that should be part of racing. should be one of those unknowns that gets thrown into racing where, you know, if your race, dude, and dude, let's be honest, if your race gets ruined because of the lane you have to restart on, I think your race was ruined before the race, you, okay, before whoa, that whoa, even started. Okay, whoa, whoa, So you're, you're the fast, okay, let's go to Atlanta here. You're the second place guy, you're the faster guy, you're running down the leader, and a caution comes out. Okay. The leader goes, I'm going to choose the bottom lane because I know I'm going to get a better, better restart than the second place guy. And also in your second place, you're stuck on the outside. And all of a sudden, you're back to fifth before you get to turn one because there's no grip in the outside lane. That's race altering. I had the faster car, and now we're going into a short, short sprint. I know it's racing, but it's racing. It's, it's, guys have I had know, that happen for years. I know it's happened for years, but we have this option now. We're like, hey, you no longer have a right to complain about the about how the race finishes. If if I'm if I'm running second, and I want you to see the inside lane. Do it. I, I didn't think they had the right to complain at all because that's just racing. If you get stuck on the outside, you get stuck on the outside. If you can't find your way down to the inside, I, I I don't see how that's NASCAR's problem. I don't see how that's anybody but your problem. If your car does not operate well on the high side, that is not – I mean, and by the way, if it's a late race restart too and the high side doesn't have enough grip on it, there's a heck of a lot more problems that we have on this in the series than where guys can restart. Because then that means the tires aren't r- laying down rubber or the tracks aren't picking it up, and we just have a serious problem. We have a, we have a much bigger problem, I think, if if that if if a race race restart restarting on the outside or the inside, wherever in the in the least preferred lane, we have a serious problem if it is due to a lack of grip up there. Because in my honest humble opinion, when we go to a lot of these racetracks that NASCAR goes to that have two gr- two lanes, if you cannot manage to make your car at the very least stay in second or third position on the outside lane then we have a lot bigger problems and if if this is this is a banded if this is a band-aid that nascar is throwing over there to pretty much mask the fact the driver's races are ruined because the tires don't lay down enough grip and the tracks don't pick up enough of that grip and the drivers can't you know race their cars the way they're used to be able to race them and actually be able to get get you know get to a line that's preferable then that we just have more problems this is a band-aid the choose cone is a band-aid for a much bigger problem that we have in nascar i think it has an exciting element to it that that's why i like it i like it 
All right. Well, agree to disagree, I guess. That's two for two right there. like it. Five races remain in the regular season for the Cup Series. Both Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick enter the playoffs winless. Uh, do you upshift or downshift on this hypothetical prediction? Uh, I'm going to upshift. I think they both are going to enter the playoffs winless. It's plain simple. I think they will. Um, I will downshift. I, I think that Denny Hamlin will win, but I don't think Harvick will. I, th- I don't think Harvick is in a very good form right now, but I think that, I think at some point Hamlin should be able to pull off a win. Um, I was surprised he wasn't able to do it at Pocono, but I think he's got other opportunities here. He he could potentially. I know he's afraid of lobsters, but I do think that he could win at New Hampshire. I do think he's done fairly decently at New Hampshire. So, uh, you know, it's always possible. I think it's possible. Um, sorry, did I did I interrupt you there? I didn't mean to. Nah, I, I was just gonna go plain simple. I think they're both gonna enter the, the the playoffs winless. Unfortunately, they both make the playoffs, but they're not gonna get enter there with any wins. All right. Okay, then. Good. Next question here, and final question. iRacing and simulation is a tool that everyone should use, but is NASCAR it, NASCAR is relying too heavily on computer testing and modeling. Do you upshift or downshift on this statement, Josh? Yeah. If that's their only reliance, yeah, they're relying on it too much. I think it's obvious... You can't go out there and just build an. Oh, let's build an Atlanta and test it out. Well, you know, you can't do that. You, it's impossible. You got to rely on some sort of testing, some sort of modeling. Now that we have computers, it's something you couldn't do. You know, back in the nineties, um, very easily for sure. But I think there is too much push to use it as the only tool in the tool belt. So I guess I upshift on this one. And I, I, I just, we were, a year ago, we were talking about collaboration. And even six months ago, we were talking about collaboration from the tracks, the teams, the drivers, the sanctioning body. And just like a lot of things in society, we're going back to pre-pandemic thinking, I think, in some ways. And I don't like that. I, I, I we need to stay collaborative. We need to stay unified as one where, you know, in a meeting, you're going to have the tracks, the sanctioning body, the owners, and the drivers all in the same room talking civilly, of course. All right. We don't need to be, you know, argument central in in some boardroom. But I upshift. I think there's just, just too much push. It's a great tool. It's a great way to get fans and, 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 and get people uh, who, who haven't been introduced to NASCAR, to NASCAR, through the, through the simulation, through the technology that exists through iRacing. But it, that cannot be the only tool that we're using to test out cars, test out new track layouts, reconfigurations, etc. That's, that's my take. I agree with that, and I, I'm going to upshift as well. I think given the complete backlash that we've seen by the drivers and, and what I stated earlier in the show, if you didn't get that, go back and listen to it in the first couple minutes of it. I, I really think that this whole, the whole Atlanta repave is going to be a disaster and they're not going to realize it until March next year and they get there and it's just, it's just a mess. You know, the truck trucks are going to be full throttle around there. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, um, and it's it's going to be like Daytona Talladega, but with a lot less room. You're going to have it's a lot of junk like cars, a lot of junk trucks, a lot of angry drivers, 
a lot of fans going home like WTF was this. It's just not, it just doesn't seem good. And ho- I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. You know, there's a lot of doom and gloom that, sa- that, that, that probably is very easy to get on. You know, you want to be positive. You try to be positive with a lot of these things. But, you know, after hearing what Kyle Busch said and, and the way he described it made me think of it like Ricky Raceway. It's very hard for me to anticipate that Atlanta is going to be any different from Ricky Raceway, a fantasy track made for NR2003. I have a hard time thinking it's going to be any different than that. And that's really my biggest hangup. That's why I think, you know, yeah, Ricky Raceway looks fun when you simulate it in NR2003. But if you're an actual driver, it does not look very fun. It looks horrifying. It looks terrifying. It looks annoying. Watch the video. That that did not look fun. That did not. No, look fun. it's not. It's it. It's just not fun. So having a narrow two groove track that's banked at twenty eight degrees is 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 going to be more probably nerve wracking and scary than it's going to be fun to anybody. And I feel like current Atlanta is fun for people. But I would it, think I this would be a this would be a lot different conversation if they weren't taking away fifteen feet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think if they were just expanding the banking, I think that would be a totally different story. And I think, you know, raising the banking from 24 to 28 degrees is okay. Okay. Let's see how that goes. That could maybe add an an interesting element to it. But when you take away all of that, when you take away almost 10, 15 feet of track space, now you're creating a much different scenario, much different racetrack that's going to race different and it might not even race safer. And that's that's what I'm concerned about, is if you've got these rumors that the next-gen car might not be super safe, and then one of the, you know, the second or third, fourth, fifth race you go to of the season is going to be this new Atlanta track, then you're going to see speeds of like 210 miles an hour in packs around here racing basically vertical. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm a little scared of that. I mean, just think about this. Um, you will kind of have the same tension and apprehension that the IndyCar race had at Texas, what was that, 2017, where it was side-by-side all race long. I mean, that race right there. But that's was- that's not something that a lot of those drivers hadn't been in before. I mean, most of those drivers had driven in IndyCar when they were at, at, at much crazier ovals, like California, Chicagoland, Kentucky. You know, drivers, at least a good chunk of the field had experienced that before. So I think a lot of them were very smart about it. I think Graham Rahal was smart about it. Kanan Hinchcliffe, I mean, Hinchcliffe obviously and Rahal hadn't, didn't race in that. Well, they did, but um, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, I think they were used to it as opposed to some of the other guys. And of course, Sato being Sato, Sato doesn't care. <laughs> He's Sato. I'll make it three wide if I can. The car fits here? Okay, I'm going to go. Um, I think the best quote out of that race was like, I think that's cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that was, look, that I miss that kind of indie car, but whatever. Um, Josh, I think it's time for you to go on to your featured race. Uh, race track, I think. Is it a race or a race track today? Race track. Race, race track. track. Rollers featured race track. All right, Josh. Uh, you've got the whole rat last uh, part of the show. Last, don't say, give or take. Five, seven minutes is yours. Go for it. Have fun. Well, I kept this one short because I thought we are going to be close on time, but we'll go ahead and do that. Atlanta, once the largest city in the South and dubbed the center of the New South, has a rich history in auto racing with Atlanta Motor Speedway. But once upon a time, the, quote, Indianapolis of the South hosted nearly seven decades of racing 
in South Central Atlanta. Lakewood Speedway is today's featured racetrack. The first races occurred on July 4th, 1917 between horses and then motorcycles. Racing historians say that the first automobile race at Lakewood occurred on July 28, 1917 between two legends, uh, Ralph De Palma and Barney Oldfield, with De Palma taking the World's Dirt Champion title when Oldfield broke an axle. Prior to World War II, Lakewood hosted Indy cars, modified stock cars, midgets, motorcycles, horses, and even boats in the infield lake because there was a lake in the middle of this racetrack. I mean, it's very picturesque. If you see old pictures of it, you're going to see that the, the infield is basically a lake. It, there, there's very little pit area uh, in, at this racetrack. And uh, yeah, so boat racing, kind of a throw or pre-idea for Augusta as we talked about in, in, in a previous show where uh, they wanted to have every type of racing at Augusta International Raceway. Well, back to Lakewood. Um, it did host some of the largest crowds. Crowds reached 3,000 people mark, which was pretty crazy for the, again, there was no people in the infield, so they were all outside. Uh, races were sanctioned by the Central States Auto Racing Association, the International Stock Car Racing Association, the Motor International Inter Association, the Atlantic States Racing Association, and the Gulf States Automobile Association. If I just said association and that was your drinking word of the day, I apologize. Uh, Tim Flock was the first uh, race winner uh, race winner, and was now the Cup Series at Lakewood on November 11th, 1951. He bested older brother Bob in his 51 Hudson. Bob drove a 51 Oldsmobile. Jack Smith in another 51 Hudson numbered 44X was third. Jesse James Taylor, he suffered head injuries in this race in an early crash, which sidelined him for five years. Uh, he would return in 1956, but only made a handful of starts over the next few years before finally hanging up the helmet for good. Uh, one year later, on November 16th, 1952, Donald Thomas became the youngest winner in the series at the time, the Cup Series, when he won the 100-mile race at Lakewood that day. He did have relief help from older brother Herb. Herb had an axle failure on lap 86 of the 100-lap race, pretty close to being done. Well, Donald pulled off the track to allow his brother to take over the wheel because back in the day, relief drivers earned points. But Donald is credited with the win even though Herb Thomas drove the car to victory. On November 1st, 1953, Buck Baker won the 100-mile race in a 53 Oldsmobile, uh, but it was Herb Thomas's 14th place finish that was good enough to secure the 53 uh, NASCAR Grand National Championship, now the Cup Series. Herb Thomas becomes the first driver to win a second title, his first coming in 1951. Johnny Beauchamp scored his first NASCAR career victory at Lakewood on March 22, 1959, in a 59 T-Bird. Now, get this. Now, this is a story I've never heard, and I'm a bit ashamed to admit that. Um, but here you go. On June 14, 1959, Richard Petty crossed under the checkered flag first, and is obviously... Celebrated as the winner. But second place finisher protested the results. NASCAR went back in the scorecards and uh, they did a recount. It was determined that the second place finisher was in fact the winner. Now who was that driver? Richard's father, Lee. Lee Petty. Yeah. So the Petty Patriarch was declared the winner with son Richard awarded second place. The real kicker here 
that would have been Petty's first career victory. Yeah. So that his first victory didn't come until February 28th, 1960 at Southern States Fairgrounds in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I can't believe that. Now, that was a heck of a way to send out Lakewood because that was the last time the Cup Series raced there. Uh, was was that race right right there where if you stuck around, yeah, Richard Petty, first career wick. What? What? No, what? It's not? What? Oh, his dad won. Oh, that stinks. How'd he win? A protest. Yeah, I can't imagine that. But you know what? I, 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 I admire the competitor in Lee wanting to get that right, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I can imagine doing that to a child of mine. Uh, you know, I, I, that just blew my mind when I read that and I found that out. And I'm a, like I said, I'm a little ashamed I didn't know that before. All right. Well, overall, NASCAR made 11 trips to Lakewood between 1951 and 59, only not racing at the Atlanta area track in 1955 and 1957. Herb Thomas, Buck Baker each claimed two victories with Johnny Beauchamp, Bill Blair, Tim Flock, Junior Johnson, Lee Petty, Curtis Turner, and Donald Thomas being one-time winners. Richard Petty was not a winner. At Lakewood. Sorry, I had to throw that in there one more time. Lee Petty was the only driver to race in all 11 races. Uh, Buck Baker had the best average finish uh, among the drivers. Uh, discounting a couple drivers who made one or two starts. Um, so anyone who made three or more starts, he had the best average finish. And he, again, he ran uh, in 10 races, had a 6.7 average finish. I thought that was pretty good because when I'm looking through these stat lines, like, I'm seeing him at the top a lot here. I better check on this one. Now, Lee Petty ran all 11 races. He had a 7.3 average finish. Now, man, they were probably in the best equipment. But still, you know, to, to even go 11 races at the same track across multiple years and not have some sort of mechanical failure is pretty good in my book. I don't care what era it is. Um, Joe Weatherly, Fireball Roberts were the two drivers who won the two NASCAR convertible races that were held there. IndyCar has six official races at Lakewood Speedway. George Connor, Walt Alder, uh, Alder, Adder, excuse me, dang, I cannot speak. Um, and Mel Hansen won in 1946, 47, and 48, respectively. Eddie Sachs, George Amick, and Judd Larson won in 56, 57, and 58, respectively. Um, the construction of Atlanta Mars Speedway, a new, faster, bigger racetrack, was more appealing to sanctioning bodies, especially NASCAR. Uh, auto races continued at Lakewood, and the dirt track was resurfaced even in 1967, but it ultimately closed in 1979. Uh, parts of Lakewood's amphitheater's ground sits where Turn 4 used to stand. Search Lakewood Fairgrounds on Google Maps, and you'll see the outline of the former one-mile track. You can still see it today. Um, part of the lake that sat in the infield remains. Some of it has been filled in. The concrete stands in turn one still stand, but are covered with grass, brush, and hedges. The front stretch and pit area is used for flea market purposes. Uh, and, uh, what was the back stretch is now an access road for the flea market and amphitheater. So, yeah, turns one and two are basically gone, but the back stretch and front stretch and pit area still remain. Uh, turns three and four are also gone. But you can see the outline of the track. I think that's pretty cool that even in this area that's been built up, you'd think it'd be gone. It's still there. It still has the whispers and the ghosts still uh, in the area there. Uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution Racing Reference, NASCAR The Complete History by Greg Fielden, helped with today's 
featured racetrack. Uh, I wanted to do this one around the Atlanta time frame. And if I knew, Robbie, we're going to be a little under time and we've added a little bit more stuff. Maybe that'll be part two one, one day down the road here. Well, we've made good time. We've made actually pretty good time. But uh, hey, thank you so much for that, Josh. It was very informative. I enjoyed learning about a lot about that. Uh, that was very, very interesting. Very, a lot of interesting history that definitely took place at this. Still this can't believe Lee took away Richard's first career. Right? Victory. I mean, right? that's just crazy. That is. Um, he we, so he could have either, depending on how you look at it, he could have one hundred and ninety nine. 200 or 201 race victories depend upon who you ask because yeah, remember there's that there's that there's that questionable race he won at charlotte where he may have had a tuned up bigger motor that nascar swept underneath the rug oh. so, remember that well, you know, that's that story for another day it sounds like it would be all right everybody thank you guys so much for listening if you've gotten this far it's time for what's in the windshield SRX concludes its inaugural season at Nashville Fairgrounds on Saturday. The race will include Haley Deegan and uh, the Elliott Family duel between Chase and Bill, as we've already mentioned. Formula One returns and races on Sunday at Silverstone this weekend. Now, this will be the first weekend to include sprint qualifying, so we'll have lots of discussion about that next week, uh, I'm sure, because we will have lots to say about whether or not the sprint race qualifying is a success or a failure. Uh, I'm sure about that. Um, Oh, by the way, uh, the British Grand Prix will be on Sunday, and also F2 is back. So, yay. Um, happy about that. It's been a long time. Been way too long. Um, NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Divisions head up to New Hampshire Motor Speedway for the annual summer trip to Lobster Country for some chowder. Uh, I don't know. Something, something. I something, something, something Southern new, middle, <laughs> new England stereotype something. Oh, All man. right. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. Thank you guys again for tuning in. Remember to follow our social medias if you haven't already. Uh, we really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, we appreciate everything you guys do. All the support that we get from you guys is always important and always appreciated. Uh, we got, we appreciate everything that you guys do for us and all the support that you guys give us. So uh, for Josh Roller, my name is Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Have a great week, everybody, and enjoy the races. <laughs>